All right, welcome everybody. I feel like a debate is brewing in here already. The only four letters I've had to say today are USGA, and they've already started before we got on camera. So nothing fancy to say this week. It's just episode number 31 of No Putts Given. Let's get it. No Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. Fellas, here we are. To my left, Harry Nodwell, the director of the facility at My Golf Spy. Of course, uh, joining us remotely, there's editor Tony Covey and Chris Nickel, the director of business development. And over here to my right, owner and founder of My Golf Spy, Adam Beach. And um, guys, I've read this whole thing. Distance Insight Projects put out by the USGA. So uh, before we really dig into it, um, should I read the summary of their conclusion just to give everybody a little idea of what we're dealing with here? Hey, Dustin Johnson, listen up. Their summary is, we believe that golf will thrive best over the next decades and beyond if this continuing cycle of ever-increasing distances and golf course lengths is brought to an end. Longer distances, longer courses, playing from longer tees and longer times to play are taking golf in the wrong direction and are not necessary to make golf challenging, enjoyable, or sustainable in the future. In reaching this conclusion, our focus is forward-looking with the goal of building on the strengths of the game today while taking steps to alter the direction and impacts of hitting distances in the best interests of its long-term future. Guys, let's go around um, maybe in one sentence, initial reactions to the report put out. Adam? I think it's good and bad. I think they did some good work in this for sure. Um, But I think the solution to most problems is a lot simpler than 102 page report uh, that they 102, put 102. I read 16, but I guess there's more to it. This is just the conclusion. And after two years, they still don't have an answer. So uh, I think we have that answer for everybody today, though. Okay. Chris, how about you? First thoughts, initial thoughts. Yeah, my first thought is typical. Um, I think it's about what a lot of us expected in that it doesn't contain any real definitive answers. It gives us a little bit of direction as to their thinking and maybe methodology of what they're going to be considering moving forward. But, uh, you know, it didn't answer anything. It kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit. Um, But that's more or less what I expected. Okay, Tony, how about you? Meh. <laughs> I think that's fair. All right, I Harry. mean, it's yeah, it's just words, just a lot of, a lot of words. And wait, wait no a second, you, you wrote a great article today on it, and you're. Well, I, had, I had I had fun with the charts, right? I mean, I think there's some some interesting stuff in there, but if you're looking at sort of what is what is the big picture takeaway from all of this, it's like meh. You know, it's it's a two year study that determined that more study is needed. So, you know. Where are we? We're, we're kind of right back where we were with just a bit more info. Okay. Harry, how about you? I think you need to go back to do something better for the game instead of trying to make up this shit. Well, <laughs> Harry, Harry is our Dustin Johnson. so <laughs> <laughs> You are welcome. I am for the Dustin Johnsons of the world. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else out there heard that, but that was one of the best lines this week on social media about the USGA report. You heard Phil, everybody have their opinion. They said, Dustin, what do you think about the report? He said, man, I got that in my email. 
It was way too long, man. I ain't reading that. <laughs> uh, but Miranda did read it all for everybody. And, you know. Essentially, what the USGA is saying is they've discovered a threefold problem that they have. They're essentially just announcing that they've discovered a problem. They're saying that equipment innovation, player improvements, and course conditions are leading to an increased distance and essentially taking away some of the competitiveness from well, golf, is what I'm reading. I think they did some really cool stuff. Like the, the stuff that Tony pulled out the charts. Um, mm-hmm. in the article today on my golf spy for this, I think we're super telling, valuable to all kinds of people. That being said, I feel like if we put out data like that, we would get shredded. Um, and what I mean by that is there was it was not normalized, meaning weather was not the same from this year to that year. The venues weren't the same. That would be, uh, I mean, you have to have some protocols for this stuff. And granted, that might be tough to do, but there are so many things that influence those little ups and downs on a chart, right? And when the average golfer reads those charts and goes, oh man, I see this trend going up. Well, yes for the pros, no for the amateurs. The amateurs has basically been stagnant for, I don't know, 20, 30 years now it looks like. And then for the pros where it's going up, what people don't consider is there's four or five things that could have influenced those tick ups that could have been the majority of why that thing was ticking up and it has nothing to do with the ball or any of those things. Granted, yes, golfers are getting stronger. Yes, they are becoming more optimized with their equipment. But, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are influencing those tick ups that golfers evolution. have evolution. No What's that? Evolution. Well, yes. People who are getting better, more knowledgeable, stronger. It's just Golfers used to Golfers look like John Daly back in the day. They smoked cigarettes, they drank liquor, you know, like yeah. they're becoming athletes now, right? Well, right, yeah. I mean, it's it's for instance, when I used to go play play football in England, my dad used to tell me he used to have a pint of beer at half time and a slice of orange. <laughs> like now they're having electrolytes, they're having uh, beer's lactic- not electrolytes. Uh, what? Beer's not electrolytes. <laughs> if anything, it's it tastes good, but it's not electrolytes. But it's it's evolved. Like people are getting massages at half time. Wow. And Woo. well, actually, you call it rub downs, don't you? No. Like a no. I call it I call it rub down in England. Yeah, it's a rub down. Was anyway. I'm getting massages. a little off course, but I think something to maybe think about that this problem might be broader than golf. And I'll use another sport for example. Um, I think baseball is a good thing to look into. Baseball, you use a wooden bat and a bunch of thread bound together by leather. Pitchers are constantly pitching that ball faster. Nothing's changing equipment-wise. Hitters are constantly hitting longer home runs because we're starting to understand the biomechanics behind the way that we can use our bodies to improve well, in our sports. Like golf, so, that's part of the story, right? Right. But baseballs were made differently for a while, and balls are. Be- but I mean, I guess what I'm saying is the equipment hasn't improved that much, and we're still seeing this increased distance in problem. Every sport, if you no different than my eight, you know, nine-year-old daughter, right? Kids are playing the same sport more. They're getting better mm-hmm. at a younger age. When I, My wife's a college coach, and when I first met her, the kids that played in college, my nine-year-old daughter is as good as a from a stick skill component level, as good as the college mm-hmm. players were 15 years ago. Right. And that's happened in just 15 because years. Because players are specializing. They're specializing more. They're practicing more. They're having better coaching from better coaches. And I think as an athletic community they have a better understanding of how to be better at golf baseball football basketball whatever it may be yeah but 
Tony, let's get to some specifics, right? On get to the get to the why this report was even done, right? Yeah, I think the the short answer, right? At least the the answer being given is that the USGA and RNA are worried about the future of the game, right? Like, what does the game look like? What does golf look like if if guys continue to hit the ball farther and farther, right? And the concern is that in doing if, if that happens, you remove a ton of skill from the game, right? You don't have to hit these, these iron shots and, and, you know, even hybrid shots or potentially fairway woods into green, right? It's, it's the kind of the bomb and gouge mentality, right? Where you just driver wedge off every hole and, and whether or not that's a realistic concern is, is, is certainly debatable. Uh, but that, that's kind of the concern is, Hey, you know, we're, we're getting too long. And of course with that, right. If you get into this, this driver wedge mentality or, or reality, even then the concern is, well, we have to build these super long golf courses, which are expensive to build and expensive to maintain. And also, and this really is, is a part of it too, is then, then some of these classic venues, right? Like St. Andrews and, you know, Pebble Beach is one that comes up from time to time too. Like then, then we can't use these on tour anymore because they're obsolete. And, you know, I hear that. I'm like, well, first of all, right. Is that real? And also, well, too bad, right? Go, go play somewhere else. If, if the game has changed. Well, well, what are they, what, sorry, what are they worried about? Like the British open and the U S open are really tough conditions. They, the winner, like I've seen a couple of one under or two under or one over has won the tournaments many, yeah, many years. That gets to the the whole, there are simpler solutions to complex problems more often than not. Yeah. But let's back up a little bit and go, look, it's easy to criticize the USJ or, or anybody in decisions they make, right? I mean, we see it every time we hit publish on anything we do. People, it's very easy to criticize rather than create, right? But they have a serious problem, you know, they have a problem on their hands and they do need to be looking forward thinking or forward thinking in how to solve problems that are going to be potentially happening to the tour in the future, right? So they do have to be looking at those things. But they've got a major problem on their hands because if they solve it the way that they're saying they're going to, it's going to piss everybody off. Well, I'll be clear, they're they're not they're not saying anything, right? And that's just it. Like there was there was a huge concern when this report was kind of eminent that Oh my God, here we go. They're going to recommend that we roll back the golf ball or, you know, lesser concern, but still on the table, right? Roll back the driver, these sort of things. And, and that to me was kind of the surprising thing is that that just didn't happen. It was, the conclusion was inconclusive, right? It was like, well, right. there's all these things and we, we got to continue to look at it. So, you know, I think, I think that's where they're headed. I found but- it fairly vague in reading. Well, I think you said it too. I think that was the responsible decision to make at this juncture, right? If that's if you don't have a good answer, you don't just do what they've done sometimes in the past, right? Yeah, but I, I still think to a degree it's it's kind of a, a stall tactic. I'm sure there's a, a little bit more to be learned, and they're they're certainly asking you know stakeholders and people who care about the game to to provide their input and their thoughts. But but ultimately, I I don't know how much more data there is to be gathered, right? It's, it's you know, other than another two years of, of numbers ticking up on a chart and, and trends continuing or dipping, which could have some value. But, you know, I, I think everybody has a, has a pretty strong grasp of, of where we are right now and what the trends look like. I mean, that's the issue is that they've kind of defined what the question is. They've already defined that there's a problem, right? They've defined that they don't want distances to increase beyond where they are now and i think 
even on a closer reading, they've defined that they want to put a little bit of toothpaste back in the tube even, right? Like they don't even want it moving forward, uh, maybe even preferable to move backward a little bit. Um, so they've defined that as a problem. All the data suggests there's no such same issue in the amateur game. So I feel like the landscape's pretty clear in terms of if we want to agree that there is a distance issue, where said distance issue is. And I think like people are kind of ready to get into more of a solution mode, like, okay, well, if that's the issue, what are we going to do next? You know, we don't need to study this. Let's talk, let's discuss that, right? From the amateur level, no problem, right? There's no, I mean, golfers aren't hitting it farther now than they really were before, right? So, um, well, I mean, so, you know, our, our buddy Lou Stagner, Golf Stats Pro on, on Twitter there, ran the numbers. And I think, and, and I'd have to check, and you could probably check his feed to look at the date range, but over the period of time, uh, the pro distance on, on at the professional level has ticked up 12%. At the amateur level, it's 8%. But, you know, there's some there's always some nuance in what numbers you look at. If you just kind of look at the amateur distance graphs, which is what we've referenced, you see a lot of up and down, but but not a lot of actual sort of movement, right? It's not like it's not like the Corn Ferry Tour, for example, where that that chart just goes up and up and up. It's it's largely flat. All right. Well, let's address some of the issues and reasons why you know there might be some issues and things to consider, right? So not normalized data. So is this data set even worth a shit, really? Um, swing speeds have increased. That is a fact, oh. right? So we know that mm -hmm. golfers are getting stronger, more efficient. So that is going to make the ball go farther. Golfers are getting equipment that is more fit to their swing, which is giving them more ideal, more maximized performance of, based on their potential. Strength training, which goes back to swing speeds. But then one thing that we were talking about earlier, Tony, which I think is interesting and I don't think many people would think about. Back in the day when you played golf, let's say 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you get 14 tee shots, basically hit driver, right? And that's the typical number. But I don't ever remember playing many courses that I hit 14 drives back in the day. There were holes where I hit a three iron off the tee or a four iron, maybe a three wood because there was potential OB that, you know, driver was just too risky. Where nowadays with strokes gained and things, they're saying, look, you, you pound that thing. You hit driver on everything and take that risk. So let's say out of the 14 shots that they were getting data from back in the day, only 12 or 11 of those was you were hitting driver. And now you're hitting driver 13 or 14 of those the average in general just from hitting driver two or three more times around on those 14 shots is going to make that go up. Would we agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that, that's if you look at, you know, it's, it's not a chart that I wrote about um, in my piece today, but if you, if you look and go through the report, one of the charts that they have is shows the, the increase in driver usage off the tee through the year. So that's one of the things they're monitoring, right? Guys are guys are hitting drivers more often. And obviously that's contributing to the distance increase. And and that's coming from again, it's just knowledge, right? You take, I think probably, you know, my favorite example is Scott Fawcett and what he's teaching and, you know, his mindset is send it, right? Like he's you know, you essentially have a grid system for your driver. And if you put your swing on it, you know where it's going to land. And and the numbers say that if you want to shoot the lowest score, you're not trying to to isolate the right side of the fairway and, and create a perfect angle into the green. You're just hitting the damn ball as far as you can off the tee and working from there. And that's, you know, more and more tour players are adopting that strategy. 
and yeah, it's going to lead to to more distance and and probably lower scores too. That's that's the projection. So, yeah, you can't you can't do anything about that. So, how much of the distance gains are just because people are hitting driver more? Well, it's it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, it, it's a contributing factor, and I think you know, kind of the the nuance. They kind of threw it in there in the report as as kind of like we we need to have two paragraphs on this, but you know, they they certainly acknowledged that that physicality more athletic golfers is contributing to distance and and launch monitor optimization and fitting are contributing to distance and basically the the takeaway is look we believe that it's it's part of every golfer's mindset to get better we can't limit those things so if you want to draw a line in the sand from from where we are today say this is this is where distance stops we can't we can't be any longer than we are today the only way to achieve that if we know that golfers are going to get bigger, faster, and stronger is to take things like the equipment and say, well, we're going to move this back so that we don't go past this point. So I think, again, that that's probably where we're headed. And there's, you know, a handful of reasons for it. And the, the equipment is is the easiest. I don't, I don't think it's the easiest, but the USGA sees it as the easiest solution moving forward, I believe. So everyone keeps agreeing that there needs to be a solution or something. But if I can dial it back a little bit, it sounds like Tony, Chris, and Adam, you're agreeing that there is a problem. Harry, I think you say distance isn't a problem. Who cares, right? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if people want to shoot lower scores, they're going to be shooting lower scores because the mentality is that way inclined too. I think if they want to do better, nine times out of ten, if you put your mind to it, you're going to do better. And people don't want to see everyone shoot, you know, bogeys after bogeys if you make it incredibly tough. But I think there's a happy medium. I think you can make the course harder. You can make it tighter. You can put some trees in where you see more areas. I mean, using like Arcos, if people were hitting in certain areas, and you can see that in, in TV and PGA Tour where they predominantly hit their drives, put a little pond or something, just something that will just Force make people them to think not hit the driver it. all the time. Yeah, just say, all right, well, I better hit iron down this one just because of all this rubbish. Yeah, I mean, Tony, what do you think? I mean, do you think it's a problem? So at the amateur level, absolutely not, right? I think I think that there's no suggestion in the data, and we see you know the average golfer across all ages, handicap ranges, you know, the average number is under 210 yards of total distance. So clearly not a problem there. And I, you know, my only concern from the professional level would be kind of that tick up on the corn fairy tour where these younger guys are are getting so long that it is potentially a problem but you know we've, we've talked about this before the the simple solutions right tighten the fairways slow them down i mean we we see you know when on the pga tour the amount of roll they get on some of these courses where the ball lands and rolls another 30 yards it, yeah go to a public course that ain't happening yeah exactly so i, I mean just run just grow the grass that much longer. Not only are you going to dial back distance a little bit, you're going to take a little bit of spin off the wedge shots too and, and make make approaches into greens a little more challenging. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second and take the USGA's perspective here, and I'll read it word for word, or, well, maybe I'll paraphrase. Essentially, it's saying the trend towards longer courses puts golf at odds with growing societal, societal concerns over the use of water, chemicals, and other resources. So they're essentially then bringing climate change and society's perspective Perspective into how that's not so much a good thing and how we're contributing or not contributing no, they're to basically it. throwing noodles on a wall and hoping some of these will stick so people will take notice that's all they're doing well that's 
they're not wrong, right? So does changing the course really affect it that much to the point where we're using astronomical resources that golf is now well, contributing to climate change? So you're talking about lengthening courses, which is what they've kind of traditionally done to kind of solve this problem. What we're saying is, no, just just grow the grass and tighten the fairways. Like, you know, the USGA, what they talk about in the report is the kind of the the run of these super long 70 200 to 7,500 plus yard courses being built, right? And so that's that's the argument is, look, they this, these courses require a lot of land and they cost a lot of money to build and a lot of main, money to maintain. And we're running out of water, which is which is absolutely true. And my response to that is, well, well don't build a 7,500 yard course. Like no amateur golfer, you know, the, the 99.99% of us who don't play on tour and aren't elite amateurs have no use for a 7,500 course. That is a thousand yards, give or take, of absolutely wasted real estate. So why are you building these courses? They're building these courses for the 0.001% and making this 102-page About the whole golf industry. About the golf industry when it's actually not about the golf industry at all, which is 99.9% of us, which is us. If they do this and they roll... Except Harry. (laughs) If they do this and roll the ball back, right? How are you going to regulate that? Because when it comes to CT driver testing, they're randomizing some some drivers out there and say, all right, we're going to randomize five. All right, your five are this week. Let's see that. Are they going to do that for every single golf ball in the pros bags of 150 um, player field? I mean, it's everything is identified by a side stamp. So it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I think if it gets to that level, that's not going to be an issue policing it. I think, you know, guys are going to play the right. Really? Golf ball companies have a difficult time making balls that are really consistent right now. That's the thing. Like if, if you're, if somebody were to try and cheat and slip in a, you know, a, a current <laughs> type ball, like it, it would be abundantly obvious. Right. So that's, that's not a concern. Well, at all, it I depends think. on how far you roll it back. Well, but that's the thing, right? You, If you only roll it back a little, you're not really do- accomplishing much, right? That's not going to get you. If you roll it back just a touch, you're probably not going to get to the point where these next generation of golfers don't take us beyond where we are right now. So I think I mean, that is a good point. That is a good point where you just brought up because I was like, I was saying, I was saying, yeah, how are they going to regulate it? But if they are hitting it 50 yards past everyone else, they're going <laughs> to, a red flag is going to come up and say, hmm, they might have a different ball right it's there. It's the same thing with a driver, right? There's nobody that's sneaking in a, you know, we, we know some guys have slipped over the limit, but there's nobody that's wildly over the limit. Yeah. And you know, and you know, the numbers too, right? When you, when you swing at this speed and you have these numbers on a launch monitor, you know what the maximum that can produce, right? It's like when people go in and get fittings Golf Galaxy and they jack up the elevation to 10,000 feet. I mean, you know, <laughs> some, you know something's up, man. Chris, how about you? Do you think it's a problem? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think, again, it's beating a dead horse a little bit, but at the amateur level, absolutely not. If there is a problem, you know, we're talking something that may be more of a problem in the future. And I think what the USG is really concerned about is you got guys like Brandon Hagee, which, you know, not a lot of people maybe recognize that name, but look back at it up. I I did make it up. Um, (laughs) He, uh, you know, he's like a 190 ball speed guy, Corn Ferry Tour. He's on PJ Tour this year. And was he the longest out there? Uh, Yeah, pretty much on Corn Ferry Tour. But I think they're concerned about everybody becoming like him or a cam champ stuff like that where that's going to rule the day and 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 from that perspective i get where they're coming from um it's hard to argue against them wanting to limit some of the distance and limit what the future of the game looks like a little bit now 
the issue that I have with that is they've basically talked themselves into a need for bifurcation, which is like the Voldemort of the USGA lingo, right? Like you can kind of talk about it. It's kind of there, but you're not really allowed to say it. Well, can you break it down for us? It essentially means making a different set of rules for amateurs and professionals, right? Yeah, basically to bifurcate something is, you know, fork in the road, right? So we have a different set of rules for pros and for amateurs. And my position is that we already have bifurcation. The game's been bifurcated for quite some time. The rules just haven't caught up to that reality yet. There's no way that, you know, maybe except for Harry, that the rest of us would go out and, you know, play a course in tournament conditions, etc. on a regular basis. Um, the game that we play is not at all similar to what the professional golfers play right now. Their world is entirely different than ours. So Yeah, it's, a, it's adult softball league versus major league baseball. Exactly. Exactly. It's, yeah, beer league Thursday night softball versus, you know, a guy throwing 95 miles per hour painting corners and... It's a different world. Um, so I, I think they need to acknowledge that. I think I think it's well past due to acknowledge that reality. I think this report did that a little bit by putting in some of the stuff around the posits for local rules to enact some type of equipment situation in order to do that. Um, it's kind of their de facto response to creating bifurcation without saying that that's what they're actually doing. Uh, but they've kind of painted themselves into that <laughs> corner, I think. Do you think do you think this is gonna have repercussions on amateurs getting to a point to turning pro? Because they could get to a point and say, you know what? I have more fun hitting it three forty than hitting it two sixty off the tee. And where, and where do you get paid more? I find it better to make zero dollars versus a million dollars. Yeah, but they might not I mean, make that a million dollars. You were talking about thinking about going pro, right? If you're thinking about going pro Part of the reason you want to go pro is to continue to get better and better and better, not just hit bombs, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and again, I, I think, think other anything... sports experience that same problem too. It like the difference between college football and professional football in college, you've only got to get one foot in, and the pros you got to get two. So you make that, you know, adjustment if that's well, your dream and your goal. The the problem is though, and and this is I shouldn't say problem because I think I think this is the legitimate challenge that the USGA faces with the bifurcation issue, right? It's if you say, Hey, if, if you draw the line between me and Dustin Johnson, right? That that's really easy, right? Dustin Johnson and, and all the other tour pros can play a, a tour spec ball, right? And no issues, right? Because they're fundamentally different. I'm never going to, going to play on the, at the pro level at the, at that high a competitive level so they can have their ball and i can have mine and that that's kind of your your baseball situation right the 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 firm line between a wooden bat and an aluminum bat when you you know go from amateur to professionals but in golf you have this middle space right you have to a degree guys like harry that are aspiring professionals or you have these uh you know hardcore serious elite level amateurs that want to compete in mid-am events and try and qualify for a u.s open and and grind their way onto a tour right and you have the collegiate game as well right so you have a lot of this this space that exists between recreational hacker amateurs like me and chris and and thank you dustin johnson and jason day and, and tiger woods right these elite guys how do you how do you handle those guys in the middle and that that's even like i i've got a, a lot of opinions on a lot of things and that's one i've, I've kind of looked at and gone yeah that's a that's a that's a tricky little bitch right there so you're saying making two sets of rules oversimplifies it 
Well, yeah, because you where do you put the guys in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. So that's because again, you, you know, and maybe you say, hey, if you're serious enough to compete, you should play the pro ball. But that, what do you do the rest of the time? Let me propose something. You keep the same system you have for amateurs that no one really has problems with now, right? The guys like, you know, everybody going out to the local municipal course. Keep the same guidelines for the middle of the pack. And then for the pros, I know that we have oversimplified this, but this is a serious potential solution. And that literally means growing the grass. And that is all that might need to be done here. And I'm not joking around when I say that. And people always go, oh, yeah, yeah, They go, I think it's it's such a simple solution that people oftentimes just kind of wave it away. But it really solves the majority of this problem. And the great thing about it, it's kind of like I was telling you, Tony, we used to build these motorcycles when we were kids, right? And you could either go 50 miles an hour or 190 miles an hour, right? And you had these regulators on them, right? And your mom would always come out there and say, hey, you got to dial that thing back, man. And then the kids would get out there and dial it up a little bit. And it's the same with grass. You start dialing a ball back. And where do you do you keep dialing it back? With grass, you have that ability at any tournament you want, any time you want. And you can bring it in. You can bring it up. And you can change the game, as you've seen with tournaments, that can be won with a, you know, a one over by elite golfers that have to now start shaping shots, hitting less drivers, and that driver distance their, their long drives might be the same, but over the course of a round, the averages will come down. Yeah, I think it's, and it, it's, it's not that kind of a, it's not a hard thing to try. So great point. Yeah. You know, couple, maybe a couple tournaments on the Corn Ferry Tour, a couple more on the PGA Tour, on, you know, and maybe they're kind of alternate field events. So you're not kind of mucking up with the mainstream out of the gate, but it, it, like you said, just just grow the grass, gather some data, and see what happens. That's a great pitch to the USGA right there. Like you can spend two years doing what you did, which is some great work in there. You know, there's some there is some good information in this report. Or you can actually try start trying some potential solutions on small scale levels, like growing the grass and seeing what actually happens, because that is a legitimate solution to a somewhat complex problem that could be, you know, maybe it's not the solution, but try it out, like you said, and see what happens. It's yeah, it's an easy experiment. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be every week. You know, you could have Harbor Town one week, which is going to just do that on its own, right? Justin Rose won. Um, was it at Harbor Town? You won USO? No, that was at uh, Marion. Marion, yeah, he was what one over for the week, something like that. Plus one won the USO. Plus one on a short course. How long is that course? Under seven. It's yeah, it's it's sh- it's it's one of the shortest that that gets played on tour. Here's the thing: is I don't think they understand if the rough is longer. It's going to be harder to get out. Like if it's you go not to, just the rough in the in the rough, the fairways you grow at eight. Right, yeah, exactly. Look at the data from the report. Yeah, but here's here's the thing: they're five gonna, yards come off distance. They're gonna they're gonna say they're gonna say, all right, it's, you're now gonna catch flyers, and now we can't understand on how far. Harry, it's you're gonna trying get. to solve a problem, okay? So in the data, it says on somewhat wet conditions, basically five yards get dropped off of driver distance by just having moist conditions. Yeah, it's four point. 4.4 yards yep. shorter on events where it rains. So just hear me out here. Hear me out. Grow the grass in the fairways an eighth of an inch longer. Not fly or lie. Eighth of an inch. Wet the fairways a little bit more, just like they do for some other sports, right? To slow things down. Try that and see what happens. All right. That Yeah, I get that point. The other thing is, is how... USGA are trying... They're always accommodating to the PGA Tour players to keep them happy. 
Because when they say, oh, the, this, these pins are too tight, these are, the greens are too fast, they dial it Look, back. professionals are going to bitch about anything yeah, and everything. No matter if you grow the grass or make the course hard or easy, every week and with social media now, it's just become more apparent of whiny, bitchy pros complaining about being on the pro circuit, you know, and how the conditions are for the course. But it's a real thing. They pay attention to that. I understand that, but they've got a future problem they got to solve rather than a in this moment, hey, this guy's bitching about this one flag or this grass over here. They've got a future problem to fix, right? But that future problem is for the one You think they're going to not bitch about the ball being drawn back? Yeah, of course they will. Okay, so would you rather fix it with you get to keep playing the ball and the driver you've been playing and we just grow the grass an eighth of an inch, grow the rough a little bit, narrow the fairway a little bit. I mean, which is an easier solution? Well, Harry, as probably the most competitive golfer of the bunch, you're not objecting to making or keeping the game competitive, right? No. Not at all. Okay, so, but I think everyone else is saying it doesn't require large-scale equipment regulation changes or anything like that. It can be so simple. I think that's such a complex thing to go to every ball right. company and go, hey, you got to make a special ball. You got to make a special ball. You got to, hey, just don't cut the grass next week. Huh. That's what I, that's what I try and do all summer long is not, go, not cut my grass. <laughs> There's nothing, there is nothing cheaper than just not paying somebody or not doing it yourself. Right. And I guess here's the other way to think about it too, right? Like, so if the idea is that golf is a game of skill, right? And there's a lot of different skills involved in golf. Hitting the ball a long way is absolutely a skill, right? That's a skill. Long and accurate is absolutely a skill. The USGA feels like that skill has become disproportionately encouraged, promoted, and rewarded uh, in opposition to maybe what we would call you know, shot making, judging a lie, uh, maybe some of those elements, right? So it's not looking to get rid of something and replace it with something else. It's looking to shift it back into more of a balance. So if you do grow the fairway, so again, what's cheaper than not mowing, right? And you let the fairways grow a little bit and you let the rough grow a little bit. Maybe you introduce a new skill now, which is called judging a lie, Right. Players used to have to do that a lot more than they do now. Where is it going to fly? Is it not? I need to understand how my ball is going to react to the situation. The penalty now for distance is you got to become a little bit better at judging balls, you know, that are sitting in the rough. And maybe we get it back in balance. A little no, bit. I, I, I completely understand. But I'm actually saying that I think you're going to piss a lot of people off in the process. Hey, man. It's the long term versus the short term, in my opinion. Right. You, you can't worry it. about the short term for a a very good long-term solution if you're playing for a million and a half dollar first prize every week somehow they're going to get over being pissed off pretty quick mm -hmm. well that or go play in some lpga events you want to bitch about some conditions go and see what that's yeah, like. that's, that's that's for damn sure good point Okay, so that came to like a pretty finite <laughs> point, didn't it? <laughs> okay, well, we have some other things that we can talk about this week. Um, Adam, and I know we've seen it online and things like that. We were talking about the new tailor-made truss before we started recording here. Um, and you were enlightening me that this design, although it looks entirely unique to me, is not unique to tailor-made. Yeah, so interesting. You know, the buzzword of this year for putters is stability. Mm -hmm. um, and you're seeing that with all different kinds of ways of doing it, whether it's even roll trying to stabilize face impact kind of or Odyssey with their shaft or the stability shaft that you can buy for any putter. Or now with TaylorMade Truss, it's all about keeping the putter more stable at impact or throughout um, the stroke. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, the TaylorMade Truss is the new putter 
uh, a, a set of putters, right? So they've got a couple blades and a mallet. Uh, you've got a TM1, a TB1, and a TB2. The issue that kind of comes up, which, you know, I don't know if Gossifers are going to really give a damn or not about, is just, I, it's just really hard for me to get past their quote that says, it looks like nothing else mm-hmm. when You're it obviously it looks like, if you've played golf long enough, it looks like a lot of other things, you know? Well, it looks like nothing else on the market right now. Well, that's not what the quote said. So, um, Titleist made a putter called the Dead Center. Ashton had a putter came out, and there was other ones as well um, that tried to solve the same problem. And to, for the most part, they were looked at as a joke, mm-hmm. right? Uh, now TaylorMade comes out with it, and how people kind of found out about this was there was a picture of Tiger Woods practicing with it. Which, to be honest with you, the only thing I can think of is they handed him this putter. And somebody obviously had to quickly grab a snapshot of him using it because, I mean, Tiger. Pro- I mean, I, I can't imagine what he was actually saying when he was trying this putter because uh, he's a Scotty Cameron guy, so the trust had to look odd to him. But you know, I think it its whole purpose is to reduce side spin at impact, basically. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's some there's some data out there to say that it might be doing that. So great, um, I'm all for products that are here to help golfers shoot lower scores. I will say this, looking at it, and Harry can uh, give his opinion too, but it it, it uh, looks odd until you stand over it, and then most of that oddness goes away. But the feeling is weird. Um, a good putter design too doesn't shut down an address if you kind of let your hands go. This one shuts down pretty bad. Um, and I just think golfers are willing to look at one thing that's a little odd. I think this has two or three or ten things that are going on that are a little odd. So it's going to be a tough sell, I think. But um, you know, if it's here, if it helps golfers get the ball in the hole faster, I'm all for it. Tony, do you think it might have potential? Because TaylorMade has actually won multiple uh, most wanted putter categories, so they they know what they're doing when it comes to putters. Yeah, I mean, it's you don't know until you really get through a test. It's it's super hard to predict with a putter um, what's going to work, and I I think it's it's one of those things, right? It's it's a low cost item to produce, and you can you can make something that's different. You can put a story behind it, and and potentially generate some interest that way, right? There's an appeal to putters that are aesthetically beautiful, and then in some cases there's there are putters that are so ugly guys want to pick them up, and so. This could be a case of, hey, yeah, this this looks so ugly, I gotta try it, right? And then, as mm. as Adam said, when you when you put it down at a dress, it doesn't look too strange. And if it works, yeah, you you know, you, you get past all of it. But I don't know. It's I, I don't think it's it's a world changer by any stretch. Harry, what have some of the testers said about it so far? Adam saying it looks weird, it feels weird, it's got a couple of things that might be a downfall for it have the testers picked up on that yet yeah the comment every time is as ugly as yeah <laughs> okay. um, and then they can't they can't get past that though they can't get past the looks because subconsciously they're already thinking oh this looks so terrible when i look at it and i see it with the driver test too with the tailor-made soul plate they look at it from the bottom and say oh it's so disgusting and then they're already putting bad mojo on on their shot. So if it doesn't look good to the consumer, nine times out of ten, they're not going to buy it because they don't relate that to performance. It's, it's catch point too, like Tony said, right? They'll it's they're more likely to at least pick it up, right? Because it looks different. Yeah. But with putters, it's really interesting. Golfers traditionally, when it comes to the putter category, 
they're open to putting new putters in the bag more than most products, right? Because, you know, just Chucky was in there the other day, man, the magic's worn off this thing, yeah. you know? So they're, tr- they're, they're trying all kinds of putters and it's a low, you know, cost generally, like Tony said, but golfers don't want to play gimmicky putters. And I think that's because they don't want to be looked at as, you know, when they pull that cover off and their buddies see them and they go, what in the hell are you playing with? They don't want to be looked at as a non-serious golfer, right? But if they make more putts of them, they can just say, well, eh, yes, true. And the other side of this is it has a tailor-made name on it, right? If this had some wacky brand, no one would have picked it up. But tailor-made gave some seriousness to a odd design, you know? Chris, what are your thoughts? My my question slash thought is, is the trust going to be around in a year or two years from now because Uh, right because that's a risk they take internally when you design a product and put it out there you know i i don't know that taylor may knew that the spider design that they had would catch on the way that it did um some of that is good timing some some of it's jason day lighting the world on fire with that maybe some of it's the red color whatever the case is i would love to know inside taylor made wall if they're looking at it going yeah it's a 2020 thing we'll see Kind of, you know, no real plans to extend it. Or is it like, hey, we'll just give it a run and see what happens with this thing. My gut is, you know, if you like it, get one this year. I'm not convinced there's going to be a lot in 2021, 2022. It's an interesting point, Chris, because you know what's interesting about TaylorMade? They're known for drivers, right? But the weird thing about it is when you look at the wedges and putter section, they've had, they just never stick to a single evolutionary design, right? So every year they're trying something new. And you can never kind of know, like, what is it? Who is tailor-made when it comes to putters? Who is tailor-made when it comes to wedges, right? They are ADHD of putters and wedge <laughs> design. They really are. Well, I think on the putters, they've they've had some designs that have stuck, right? Like, so now Spider has has not only built a legacy within the tailor-made lineup, but it's it's become one of those ubiquitous shapes where everybody has their version of the spider and certainly you know the juno has done well and they have those classic shapes so i think it's reasonable and you see just about every everybody who makes a putter every now and then kind of steps outside the wheelhouse and and tries something kind of strange so i would actually disagree and i think i don't think TaylorMade has been overly schizophrenic with their putters with the wedges i I might agree with you but on the putters i I think they have a, a stable of shapes that you know they're they're not Scotty Cameron in terms of sales, but they work and they sell reasonably well. But I think they're willing to take a risk. I think you made some good points, Tony. But when I think of like tailor-made putters versus other companies and say that brand putters, there are things that pop to mind. Yes, the Spider pops to mind for tailor-made. Other than that, you say the Juno, but for as good as that putter performs, no one ever talks about the Juno. So well, and again, it's it's one of those kind of you know ping shapes so to speak right um whereas the spider is no one more schizophrenic than ping when it comes to putters well, it's, i mean it's kind of ironic right but yeah. yeah i mean you but the the spider has kind of been like this is the distinctively tailor-made shape right. and you yeah. know they they have the the classics in the lineup and you know throw a noodle every now and again and yeah i don't I, I wouldn't bet any sort of sum of money that the the truss is going to be the next big thing and we'll see maybe it. a better way to put it is I just feel like we should be when you think of TaylorMade, you we should think of things when when we think about putters and wedges, but we don't because they're so good at making drivers. Spider. I mean, well, to that's, me, that's it. Yeah, that's spider. It. Yeah. I think that's part of the issue too is like most of those iconic products or whatever, you think of a name or a model, right? So you say 
you know, Titleist wedges. Nobody calls them Titleist wedges. They're Vokies, right? And you yeah. say, okay, tailor-made putters. Most people would probably say spider. Like when I think something identifiable with tailor, I go, oh, it's Kia. Like that's Kia what I, yeah. Yeah. I used to. I, I used to. to. I don't. Yeah. But that's part of the fracturing thing for me is I don't necessarily just associate one thing with them anymore. But it could just be me and my lack of ability to pay attention for that long. What do you guys associate with um, Union Green? <laughs> yeah, there it is, right? The new on-the-scene direct-to-consumer golf ball brand that just launched by the time people hear this today, I guess, right? <laughs> if we get this published on time. Today, brand new Union Green golf ball brand. Yeah, there you go. What, what's Union Green? I mean, like, yeah, what do you associate with that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be Recycling. really interesting. So Union Green is a upstart direct-to-consumer golf ball brand that falls under the Akushnet umbrella. And if you've never heard of Akushnet or, or don't know what that means, it's basically the parent company for Titleist. So Union Green is, it's, it's not Titleist and it's not Pinnacle uh, officially, but it, it falls under the same parent company. <coughs> it's and Titleist. The, and the golf balls that <laughs> uh, are being offered are made at Titleist Ball Plant number two, which is where things like Torso so and Velocity get made. So, hold so how on. is it not so Titleist? It's, it's being made Titleist. by Titleist. It's, it's being made in a Titleist factory. Oh, but so they've got like this separate little cubicle that's called Union Green. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I haven't, I haven't taken the, I haven't taken the tour since Union Green launched 15 minutes ago. But um, uh, well, yeah, let's, I mean, let's 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 just get that out there. So for everybody, yes, like when we heard about this a while ago, it was like Tony and I sat back and went, "Holy shit!" Like, yeah, we've been um, sitting on this since Left Dash launched. So that's how long it's been. Crazy. Yeah. So Titleist is slash a cushion it is coming out with a direct to consumer golf ball brand so what does that mean that's direct to consumer is the snells the vices the you know some of the other ones right so um let me ask you uh chris why do you think titles a cushion it is coming out with union green i'm sorry who makes the ball <laughs> who's it i just not them. hit not oh them. that's that's uh, um you know i think i think it's indicative of a Kushnet, maybe not Titleist, trying to do, you know, like I said, Tony, sometimes every once in a while these companies go outside of their wheelhouse, and that can be for any different number of reasons. Maybe it's to garner attention from, you know, the again, kind of the beer night, Wednesday night, nine-hole league guys that, you know, walk into the pro shop and go, oh, shit, I, I, I need some golf balls. Uh, they happen to be right here. And because they're sold under that same label, my hunch is that, a lot of the reps when they're pre-selling, whether it's Left Dash or the standard Pro V1, Pro V1X, they're going to package some of this Union Union Jack stuff, whatever, in there with them, and <laughs> it's going to have its way. Beef jerky, ain't it? I yeah. is that King Bay jerky, Union Jack? What what is that <laughs> I don't stuff? Know. It's a great but country. Yeah, you know, they're going to have Union <laughs> Green and one hair, whatever, and. You know, because Titleist does have such a large green grass presence, I think that's the entree into a lot of those green grass accounts for this. So it'll be there. Well, that's that's an important distinction. So Union Green is going to have very, very little distribution in whether you want to call it green grass or brick and mortar. Like it is, it is going to be not exclusively, but primarily direct to consumer. It's going to be. 60 to 80 retail accounts that's it so you know when you consider okay. the the thousands it's going to be you're it's very unlikely you're going to be walk into 
to the to your golf shop and and find Union Green, and that's that's because there really is the idea of trying to build a a, a culture and a lifestyle around this brand that is distinctly different than Titleist, right? It's not Titleist. It's different from Titleist. There's a there's a different vibe with the brand. It's for a different type of golfer. And in fact, when when in discussing this, it's really the target audience is a guy who plays golf but doesn't necessarily consider himself a golfer. So it's I was gonna say you know, though, what is why why has Titleist done this? Is it because and well I've got two questions. Why have they done this? And what type of balls is it? Two piece, three piece, four piece, great question. Twelve piece. So Tony's going to give you his reason based on what Titleist. Uh, damn it, Kushnick <laughs> the has cult. told him <laughs> See, the reasons they're doing this is, and I'm going to tell you why I think they do it. Titleist is one of the smartest and most probably most well managed golf companies since I've been in golf. Okay, twenty years of watching this. They've always had a steady incline. They're not looking for the big spikes up and downs like the TaylorMades and Callaways over the last 20 years, right? They are well-managed, and they are not dumb. And when they make a decision, you know, you might question it from, from afar. But, but process has gone into it. They've put a lot of thought into it, right? This is my assumption. This doesn't mean it's true. But let's take go back to a story that I heard about True Linkswear, okay? True Linkswear started to make a shoe that at the PGA show had to be one of the most insane boosts oh I have God. ever seen in my entire career. It was a, tr I mean, there was it looked like a boxes exploded. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly right. I mean, there was shoe padding everywhere. There was the lining that goes in the boxes everywhere. I mean, people were stealing them off the racks. I mean, it was insane. Okay, this was the first year of True Links Wear. And I'll never forget, I talked to people within Titleist Footjoy, and granted, those are two separate companies, but together to some degree. And they said, we'll wait for them. They wait for people to take the risks, right? And then when they've put out there all, and taken all the risk, and the cream of the crop of those risk takers rise to the top, they go, all right, now it's time for us to jump in, right? So direct to consumer, let's just get a couple truths out there. Let's take Snell and Vice, right? Snell, in my opinion, is a better performing ball than Vice. And I know for a fact, it's a bad logo for most people's opinion. And they will come into our facility and go, what's this? It's a great ball. What's that one? That that looks cool. It's a, it's a golf and, ball. It's an okay And ball. I go, that ball is better than that ball probably. And they go, I don't give a damn. I'm playing that one. It just looks cool, right? So Union Green, in my opinion, is going, hey, there's all these direct-to-consumer golf balls ever since this Kirkland thing and Snell thing and Vice thing. And they're starting to... Maybe not take market share, but they're creating a little niche over here. So do you think that they're going to have a logo saying Union Green, made by Titleist? No. <laughs> or do you think but, it's going to be like but a cool... But if, if Tony's right, and this is a lifestyle play, and this is for non-golfing golfers, that logo better look good. Because, it better look good. Uh, that's a serious buying consideration when it comes to the, the lifestyle golfer. And... You know, it's a two-piece, three-piece ball. This isn't a Pro-V, Pro-V1X. This is a value ball, ionomer, you know, cover for the three-piece. Uh, this isn't a great performing golf ball, you know? So you're not saying that they're going to be stepping on their own toes in any way because they're that different. Well, that's the other thing, right? That's always the challenge. That's mm -hmm. always yeah. the challenge. So titles isn't dumb, right? Mm -hmm. So I think they're going and waiting. They waited until this market defined itself a little, and they said, I'm going to go in and grab that away. Because we're the kings. Because remember, Titleist is number one by like miles in the golf ball section. And that's where they make their bread is in golf balls. Okay. So 
they are protecting their house right now. And like I told you earlier, if somebody comes and tries to attack your children, you're going after them, right? Your kids. This is their kids. And somebody, some people are starting to come in and, you know, pick on their kids and call them, you know, short or something like that. And they're going, no, 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 you're not going to pick <laughs> on my kids. Uh, I'm coming after you, right? So that's my opinion, what they're doing. And they can put whatever spin they want on it, that this isn't Titleist, this is this, this, the other. These are Titleist decisions being made. The money all and, goes to the same place at the end of correct. the day, right? It's, uh, correct. <laughs> So they can spin it however they want, and they want to keep some separation, right? Because if this looks like titles too much, people are going to go, what the hell? But if it looks like a little bit of titles, they go, well, I trust those people. They make good balls. They probably make a good ball over That's here, what too. I'm at, yeah. Well, the thing you have to keep in mind, right? If you, you know, outside of our world, right, where everybody's hardcore and, and knows who's behind every brand. But if you, if you walked out onto certainly my home course, and I would guess yep. most any golf course around here and and ask somebody who makes pinnacle right <laughs> the answer is going to be well doesn't pinnacle make pinnacle right there there's there's already Harry's over there going wait a sec doesn't pinnacle make yeah. pinnacle <laughs> so so right who it's, makes, it's, who it's, makes pinnacles Harry? it makes precepts it's like we Precept. know, so we know we know that that pinnacle is next to titleist under that accushionate umbrella but you know, the average golfer doesn't know that. And when you talk about the target audience for Union Green, which is, again, a guy who plays golf but doesn't consider himself a golfer, is just going out to have fun. Sometimes he plays by the rules. Sometimes he doesn't. He's, you know, it, it's it's just one of any number of activities he engages in that is is largely just a, an excuse to hang out with his buddies, have a good time, and, and probably throw back a few beers. So that guy is... You know, Titleist isn't keeping this a secret, or excuse me, Akushnet isn't keeping this a secret that they're making this ball. But for the guy who's most likely to buy it, he's not going to know, he's not going to care. So it's, totally it's going to be that complete and total separation in that respect. So in terms of, of what I see as the challenge, like keeping it separate from Titleist is is not a challenge. It's It's turning it into an authentic brand, right? Building a culture around it that people see is like, we see it with Vice all the time, right? They're for, for no reason that we can particularly particularly identify other than the marketing seems to be pretty good. People identify with that brand. They think that brand is cool, right? Vice is cool. I don't know why. I like the logo. We've talked about that. And so it's 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 essentially the same type German of thing they're trying to create. Right. Well, don't get me started there, but it's it's the same type of vibe they're trying to create with Union Green, where it's I think this is a cool product, not necessarily like this is the best performing ball on the market, because the guy who's going to be buying this, if, if they hit their audience, isn't somebody who's obsessing over launch and spin. Right. He just he just wants a, something that he thinks is cool and performs well enough for him. And, you know, being made at a Titleist factory. Under the Akushan umbrella, um, In that you know, it's, it's at least going to be a quality product within that space. So that's that's kind of the thing is a lifestyle and a culture. Yeah. All right. So, Tony, let, let's flesh this out a little bit, right? Let's say they succeed with this, which I think they will. And like you say, the average non-golfing golfer doesn't even know who makes what ball, right? So you're right there. So now let's say they start to get some movement with this and they, they want to make a good ball, right? Like a real good ball. A tour ball, a urethane ball. That's what we're there talking you go. about, right? Yeah, what do they do then? Um, that that becomes a challenge for sure because right, and if you know, you could argue. So there, there's two balls. That, so there's the T Bird, which is a twenty dollar distance centric ball, right? And and maybe that steps on Velocity's toes a little bit, but ultimately, who cares? Uh, and at twenty seven, the same place, right? The twenty seven ninety nine ball, the pin drop, 
That's, you know, more balanced performance. So, you know, distance with some greenside spin. That's a three-piece ball. That one maybe starts to creep up on Tour Soft a little bit, but there's really not doesn't align perfectly with anything in the current Titleist lineup. But do you ever think they make a ball that creeps up on that Pro V? So that's that's what I'm getting at. So there's there's not a ton of competition with their own brand. I think if if Union Green comes out with a with a three-piece urethane ball, it it's a little tricky, but again, if if the guy like it becomes it's a delicate balancing act, right? You, if you're Titleist, I guess maybe the there's a risk that the guy who buys a Pro V1 knows that this cheaper urethane Union Green ball exists. So that that's something you don't want to you don't want to take a Pro V1 guy and and even if you're selling him a ball that's under your umbrella, you don't want to be selling him a cheaper ball. Um, going the other way. You know, hey, the Union Green guy who wants a little bit more greenside spin, maybe. Yeah, you could offer it for him, but I don't know how you do that without risking the Pro V1, Pro V1X franchise. But I'm not a marketing genius, so maybe there's a way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's a really smart play. Um, titles very rarely will jump in in a category minus the triangle driver that is not here to stay, right? So, like, I think, I think DTC is has carved out its space, right? Um, the D, uh, Snell being kind of the guy with the pedigree that has some actual ball experience, the Kirkland ball, which dropped the domino, um, then shit a domino after that, probably right back up. Um, and then you've got the vices of the world. He's got these, these companies are selling a lot of golf balls and it, it, it shows the evolution of the market and also the smarts of Titleist to come in and, and do what they're doing with Union Green, I think. There's there's one proposition that that Union Green offers that that nobody else in the direct to consumer space offer and very few in the ball space in general. What's that? Offer and that's th- these balls are 100% made in the USA and that is important to somebody. So if you if you are comfortable going the direct to consumer route and we know a lot of guys are, but you still want to buy something that is made in America, this is your only option in that space. Yeah, and I think to that point too the 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 kind of punch counterpunch part is i think you'll see some of the dtc brands if they're if they're smart they'll use this kind of like you were saying adam as validation right because titles didn't jump in and do concept series stuff until pxg had kind of proven that space right and now they're on the second generation of that um titleist tends to follow a little bit more closely with that so by jumping into the space if i'm snell or vice or anybody else saying hey this is valid. Not that it, that it, not that it needs further validation, but Akushnet slash Titleist just gave them all the validation they need, and I'd be interested to see how they would spin that in terms of that validates what we were, you know, we've been telling you for the last four, five, six, seven years. Great question, and a question right back to you. Do you how do you think this? How do you think Union Green by Akushnet slash Titleist, not Titleist. direct to direct to not consumer pinnacle. golf? Chris, how do you think the Union Green golf ball is going to affect the direct-to-consumer brands Vice and Snell? If those brands are intelligent about it, it should do nothing but help them because it validates not just the concept of DTC, but it validates the the market presence of that. Now, somebody can argue certainly there's only you know the pie is a certain size, and if Akushnet jumps in and starts taking a meaningful slice of that. Now we're all going to have a little bit less pie to eat. Who is more at risk, Snell or Vice, in this scenario, in your opinion? Uh, right. ooh. Vice, in my opinion. I'd say, yep. 
I'd say initially my gut is vice because of the performance aspect of it because there's there's that component to it. Snell, the diff- okay, I guess let me explain it this way. What Snell needs to do in order to blow that piece apart is cosmetic. It's not material, it's not quality. What Vice needs to do is <laughs> something I don't know that they're able or willing to do, which is material and performance, right? So it's an easier change for Snell to adapt moving forward than Vice would be my opinion. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the simple sort of question in response to your question is which of the two brands you mentioned is more driven by the lifestyle aspect of it, right? There's, there's nobody, I would presume, right, who's, who's playing Snell because they love the logo and, and think there's a cool <laughs> vibe that comes with it, right? That's, that's a ball you choose because it offers really, really good performance at an exceptional price. And Dean writes you a thank you card and, you know, that, that people love that. Yeah, so I think I think there's you know I think maybe like the the get some ball is at risk because again none of, neither of these balls are, are competing directly with an MTB or a, or even a Vice Pro so you know if I'm like a if I'm like a cut golf for example or a seed or kind of these these smaller upstarts that are all you know taking fractions it's all the same bloody ball though. Well, it's you know from what we a, found, it's all the same ball, just a different uh, logo. There's a lot on it. of them, yeah, but I mean that that's kind of who you can go after, and you can get fractions of percent from those guys. You can still you can steal a little bit from from Vice. You can maybe steal a little but bit from Snell, and then potentially carve out. And this is what they really hope to do, right? Yeah, you want you want to steal a little bit from your competitors, but you want to kind of carve out your own identity in this space and attract guys to your brand that maybe haven't really taken any interest in anything in particular. So if you kind of look at, you know, who, what these guys are playing now, these target audience, what 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 they're saying is, look, these aren't these guys that not only are they not loyal to any one brand, there there's not even any you know, they don't even lean one way or the other. They don't really care what the brand is. And in fact, you know, the ball that they're most likely to play is, is the true the one number one in ball in golf is there you go. What right. I find the true number one, the number ball one in ball golf, in so. golf is the one you find in the woods. <laughs> exactly. I'll get golf behind and love that. So if you can take the guy who, who plays what he finds and go, you know what, for, for 20 bucks, I think this brand is pretty cool. So I'm just going to go out and buy these instead of, you know, relying on foraging in the wilderness. When we heard about the story originally, you know, we've been in golf long enough to just not not everything really piques your interest anymore. This one's going to be an interesting one to see how it plays out for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even like whether you kind of hate the idea or you go, look, and, and Titleist is not, excuse me, Akushnet, right? <laughs> there's there's no secret. They're not, they're not going, no, 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 we're not. We're just doing this because to do it like there's a business opportunity here right these aren't the white coats of Tylus. these are the blue jeans of Tylus. <laughs> yeah, well and it is so that that's one of the things i asked i'm like you know given given your reputation right and where Tylus is in the industry how how can you create successfully create a brand that's authentic where where the vibe has to be much more flat brim than it is white sport coat right and so Part of it is part of the answer is look, it's it's not the old guard at Titleist that's running this project, right? It's it's the younger guys. It's it's a sort of guys that are newer to Titus Titleist. It's it's guys that aren't part of that that corner that that traditional Titleist culture, you know, or haven't been a part of it that long. So it's a different different group of people than than you would have sort of backing a, a Pro V one or, or something like that. Not that this is a Titleist product. 
I wonder if they'll throw these into accounts and use them as range balls. My question, my question is, is haven't they already tried a new ball under a different name? Like they had an Akushnit ball, long time ago. Right, and how did that work? Well, well different times, man. Yeah, I, I mean, know the different times, but you got like the the line the history begins at the Pro V one, really. Yeah. So anything that happened before that. Here's something interesting I don't think most people know about Titleist, though. Not only do they have the number one ball that you buy when you go to the store, they have the number one ball that you buy when you reload from a refinishing standpoint, like non-new balls, you know what I mean? Like used golf balls, right? But refurbished? Refurbished, and I don't think many people know that. So, And now they have direct-to-consumer. So now not only do they own you when you go to the store – they own you when you reload up on the refurbished ones and when you go online and buy direct consumer. Well, it's, it's, smart. it's kind of a, it's part of the, the evolution of the business, right? Because there was a point in time not so long ago where, you know, in my opinion anyway, the mindset of the company was very much we're Titleist and we don't do that, period. Let and me let me let me let me cap that off. So when I first got in the golf business 20 years ago, okay, the first person I called was Wally Uline, okay? And I called him and told him I was gonna start the first internet okay, business. Okay, who's that? And he said, uh, mark this down, write it down, whatever you got to say. We will never, ever sell on the internet. And how are you going to get the money through the computer screen? <laughs> that was Wally yeah, Uline. Right, right. The files are in the computer. That's right, so that's are. just it. I mean, it's it's a different time. And so this this kind of evolving version of Titleist, what I like to say is, look, it's they're still very rigid in their core principles. And it's things like, look, quality matters, and we're not going to cut corners to, to make an extra buck here or there. Um, but it's certainly more opening, right? more open to, to selling golf balls online, selling on Amazon, right? This Union Green project. Uh, and, and the way I see it is like, look, we are, we are going to be true to who we are as a brand, true to our core principles, but we're also not going to just leave money on the table, which is why like, you know, hey, yeah, we. If you ask Titleist, for example, you say, "Hey, what should what golf ball should most people play?" or everybody, and they're going to tell you, "Look, just about everybody, ninety nine point nine nine probably percent of golfers would benefit from a multi piece, three four piece ball with a urethane cover, right?" But they're going to offer you something else because they know people are going to buy that. And it, you know, if you ask them, "Hey, should I play a refurbished golf ball?" No, no, you shouldn't. But we know that some people are going to buy refurbished golf balls. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into the refurbishing business and we're going to make the best refurbished golf ball that we possibly can. We're not going to leave that money on the table. And so along those same lines, right? Hey, you know, you've got a multitude of brands springing up that are selling balls exclusively online, right? The direct to consumer guys. And so you can say, well, I'm not going to be a part of that. Or you can say, you know what? There's money in that. And we think you should probably play a, a Titleist golf ball, but if you're not going to, let me offer you a Union Green product, which is definitely not Titleist or Pinnacle. Do you think they've they've kind of bit themselves in the ass? No, for instance, let, let hear me out. So they've bit themselves in the ass. Do you think they've sold their cores off to other companies that make golf balls and then no. they've making these no. balls so you don't think that's no, a thing no no, no 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 absolutely not and it's and that's one more thing that's worth pointing out about the union green products these are balls that do not exist anywhere else these aren't like we hey we just took a titleist ball and and put a different <laughs> logo on it these were developed for this project the dimple pattern is unique the cores are unique so so an entirely different ball part of a different family a different product line right so yeah no titleist isn't 
Titleist isn't selling their stuff to anywhere else, anybody else. Titleist owns their line beginning to end, and uh, presume they will always try and keep. So why it that have they way. why have they sued loads of companies? Is it a dimple patterns? Like why? Well, is like that? I, said, oh, no, I mean, that's uh, just, if if your main breadwinner is golf balls, you protect your house. Yeah, it's dimple patterns, and it's um, you know, you can you can look at it as as Titleist accoutrement being overly litigious, or the phrase they like to use is. You know, by by aggressively pursuing and protecting patents, they are guaranteed freedom to operate. And Correct. So, so let's say right. you you let's say you spent your whole life creating an idea concept like the umbrella with the gutter on it. Your whole there life. There you go. Right? That is. <laughs> and you spent a hundred thousand dollars, which plenty of people do at the PGA show, creating products like a, a umbrella with a gutter around it. And Elevator. Somebody, somebody, somebody. The next year stole your idea, right? Like you're, you you invested all that time and energy and money, right, and resources. You're going to protect that, right? And if you don't, why did you put all that effort and energy and resources guess, into yeah. it? Yeah, and just it's sort of like, and just because you're a big ass company with a lot of money and a lot of resources, you know, doesn't mean that that somebody should be able to steal from you and and borrow your idea. Yeah, you see that driver over there with the tubes in it? Yeah, we'll talk 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 about that on another day. <laughs> well, it's also and it's also to send a message, right? It's also to send a message and to let people, I think, no, I mean. You know, when a guy comes over to my house to pick up one of my daughters for a date, do I have to hire the guy to sit on my porch with a couple shotguns and an empty 24 pack of Natty Ice? No, I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to. But maybe I just want to send a message just in case anybody else happens to be looking like, oh, yeah, you don't jack with that guy. Right. And I think that's part of what they're doing. They, uh, I mean, protect your house. That's the best analogy ever. That's surprising. I figured you'd be more like, you know what? Yeah, take her. I got six others. <laughs> that, that After the first one, that's what I've gotten to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for people that are listening that don't know this, Chris Nickel uh, has seven daughters. I thought way. he was joking when he told I did too. me I that. I thought he was a Mormon right when he told me. I was like, gotta be. <laughs> right. I was like, because oh, oh, I, I had just met him and within like five minutes, he's like, Miranda, I have seven daughters. And I was like, no, you don't. And so I like played it off like I believed him. And then later I was like, oh, crap, he has seven kids. Yeah, really does. <laughs> girls, seven girls. Don Cheadle knows. Yeah. All right, I think we've exhausted this week's episode. <laughs> My mind's mush. All right, to, one last thing before we end this episode of No Putts Given, and that is something that I don't know if everybody knows this because we've got some new listeners and things like that. But No Putts Given is powered by My Goss Buy. My Goss Buy is the main website that we operate on My Goss Buy. A lot of Fridays out of the year, about half of them, we have what we call member testing. Uh, that is an opportunity. We get a lot of emails from you guys and girls saying, hey, how can I be a part of the testing process? There's two ways. One, you can either be local to us in Yorktown and be a part of our most wanted testing. Or two, the best way for the majority is to just become a member of the forum. And uh, what that is, is every Friday almost, we have an opportunity for you guys and girls to test New product like drivers and irons and wedges and range finders. And this week, what do we got, Tony? Fujikura Motori X-Series shafts. So F1 or F3. Sign up. Decide which one is right for you. And uh, oh, what just fell? I don't much care. But uh, yeah. Chris, what's the actual process for this Yeah, one? so process super easy. Uh, 
just follow the steps that are in the article. Basically, you got to be a, a registered member of our forum, become active in our forums. That always helps. We're always looking for different demographics for people to test different products, and there's a selection process. Once we do that, in this particular case, you'll go through a, a phone fitting with uh, probably Marshall out at Fujikura and go through and get fit for a specific shaft. Then we got some before-after questions and um, kind of just go from there. There you go. Yeah, and how that works is pretty crazy, right? Not only do you get to test this, you get to keep it. All these items every other Friday or every Friday, uh, you get to keep. They're yours to keep after you test them. So whether it's a driver, a new set of irons, or a you know three hundred dollars shaft from Fujikura, they're yours to keep. Yeah, it's a good shaft. I, I, I've hit it. Yeah, we, we hit, hit it, it yesterday. We hit it yesterday, and it was or no, two days ago. Yeah, it was. It was a very, very good shaft. Yeah. So pretty cool opportunity there to be part of the process. I think so. All I right. mean, we try to do. We try to involve the reader as much as possible and uh, for a member or member testing is there's some really good product every week. Must right, be getting well, close to dinner time. Hi, buddy. I was going to say we can wrap it up here. It's been a nice full house today. Good discussion. So lots of points to think about as we wrap it up. But guys, thanks so much. Today was a good show. It was. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>